0: Well, we're in the middle of a series family matters where we've been looking at these guardrails that god gives us for life these principles we've talked about the fact that oftentimes we misunderstand the the disposition of god we misunderstand the directives of god and for far too many people God is this bloodshot eyeball, lightning bolt in hand, waiting for us to do something wrong. That way he can zap us. And yet that's not God's heart for us at all. And when we understand God's heart for us, what it does is it changes the way we view conversation. Right? I... uh, I regularly use this as, a, as, an, as an illustration that, that when you have perspective, you can see things very differently, okay? So, for example, if, if this morning, if a clown were to enter the room, right, and there's just this wonderful kind of sing-song music playing, you would think, oh, a clown, okay? That same clown appear with creepy music playing, you're going to feel very different, aren't you? Right? It's it's oftentimes the context that makes all the difference in the world. And so when when we step back and we look at the context that God gives us, here's the context that he gives us. He says this, you'll see it on this side of the wall over here. You are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens, and not just fellow citizens, you're members of the household of God. God says this, you are part of my family. And in that, what he does is he gives us these principles for life. And and, and we see this laid out. Exodus chapter 20, God gives these principles. And it's a portion of Scripture that is massively misunderstood, which is a shame because it's amazingly life-giving. The first three commandments that he gives us have to do with our relationship with him. And understanding that when our relationship with him is right, when that vertical relationship with right is right, the horizontal relationships work. And that when that vertical relationship is wrong, the horizontal relationships don't work. And so God lays out, he says, listen, I want you to make sure that your relationship with me is right. I want to make sure that you're positioning yourself properly. And then he, he gets into some of these thou shalt nots, and, and there's some of these that it's easy to go, yep, this is, I don't have this issue. In fact, today, here's where we're, here's where we're at. Exodus 20:13 says, you shall not murder, or thou shalt not commit murder. Now, most of us, hopefully all of you would say, yep, I'm good on that one, okay? Uh, that's, not, that's not an issue of mine, and if, it, if, it, if, it, if, it, if it's been an issue of yours in the past, that it's not an issue of yours today, and I'm grateful for that. And yet, if we look at it and we understand what what God is speaking about here, maybe the scripture applies to us much more than what we realize. Because here's, here's reality. Reality is this. By the time the average American child hits sixth grade, they will have already witnessed 8,000 murders on television. They will have watched over 100,000 violent acts. 48 people will have their life taken in America today through a violent act. Countless more will take their own life and an unspeakable number every year are seeing their life ended while they have yet to be born. When God speaks, listen, this is very important to understand. When God speaks the vast majority of the time when you to read Scripture, God's not speaking to an individual. What He's doing is He's speaking to a nation. When God gave the Ten Commandments, he wasn't speaking to an individual. He was speaking to a nation. He was speaking to a collective group. And in that collective group, in Exodus chapter 20, Exodus twenty thirteen, when we read that, you shall not commit murder, or thou shalt not commit murder, or you shall not murder, depending on the translation that you see in English. In the original, in the original text, the original text in Hebrew, this is one Hebrew word. In that one Hebrew word, it's not just about not committing murder. It's about valuing life. Valuing life. And if we look all throughout Scripture, here's what we find. We find this, that God values life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I have come that they might have life and have it to its full. It's about It's about life. He has given us everything that we need to live the life that He's called us to live. God has always been focused on life. And He challenges us that we must be focused on life. Life is more, friend. Life is more than simply surviving. God did not bring you to be, to simply survive. It's also about more than being successful. And it's easy. It's easy, especially in the world that we live in. It's easy to get confused about life and the focus of life. In fact, there's a. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew in the 19th chapter. In Matthew chapter 19, there is this, this narrative, this interaction that Jesus has with a young man. And in this interaction, we see that e- even in the days of Jesus' earthly ministry, that there was confusion about life, the significance of life, how God views life, the approach that we're supposed to have to life. Because you matter. Let me say this again. You matter. God's crazy about you. God is concerned about every moment of your every day. And he wants you to live life to its ultimate. He wants you to live life to its full. But it's easy for us to get confused about, about what life is and, and what, what life is so, uh, supposed to be. You'll see this starting in Matthew, uh, Matthew 19, verse 16. It says this, Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Now, here's what we know. We know this because this, this particular story is recorded in three of the four Gospels. And so we know that it's not just a man. We know that it, that, that it is a um, that it is a young man. and We also know that it's a young man of influence. He's referred to as the rich young ruler. So he's a, he's a man who has some prominence. He's a man who's got some family name to him. He's a man that's got some influence. And it would appear from, from every angle that he's got life figured out. He has position, uh, he has resource, he has influence, and yet he recognizes that something is missing. I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. Anytime you're living life outside of the plan that God has for you, there will always be this void in your life. There will always be this vacuum. There will always be this lack. He recognizes that. He recognizes that there's this, there's this lack. And, and in his mind, there's. There's a missing piece, right? Notice this: that he doesn't he doesn't come to Jesus and go, Jesus, what am I missing? Jesus, um, how how is my life deficient? He asked this question: What good thing must I do? What, what is the what is the thing that I am missing? What is that one? Th- it seems like there's just that one missing ingredient. I think I've got. To, what's the one thing that I need to do? And he asks. A question that is a completely wrong question because he's convinced that life works because of a pious disposition. That life works because of a pious disposition. I. This last week, I was at some meetings, and, uh, and, and part of that meeting was a, a memorial service for all of the... The, the pastors for the fellowship that we're a part of the assemblies of God for all of the pastors in Florida who have gone to be with the Lord in the in in, in this past year and also uh, the, uh, the, the 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 spouses of pastors and in, in, in that in that memorial service they asked uh, a pastor to to speak to to be the speaker for that memorial service uh, and they did so not because he was well known uh, in fact he pastors a a relatively small church. Uh, but they asked him to speak because he understood this issue. Because as we, were, as we were taking a moment to pause and to remember those who had gone to be with the Lord over the last year, they first remembered all of the, all of the pastors, all of the credential ministers, and then they remembered all of the spouses. And the last spouse to be named was his. His wife died last fall after a prolonged illness and a difficulty in the hospital. And then, just a few months ago, his sister-in-law was in the bank in Sebring that a bank robber went into and attacked the bank and killed everybody in the bank. So this guy understood sorrow. He understood difficulty. And and he he told his story with with such incredible honesty and such incredible compassion. By the way, just as a side note, this really doesn't have to do with the message, but it it struck me. And I thought, man, I want to pass that on to as many people as I can. He said this. He said that as, as they were in the hospital for months, he said that people would regularly come up to him, come to him and say, hey, what can we do to help? Can I say, I, I, that's what I regularly do. I'll ask people, I'll say, how can I help? How can I help? How can I help? And really, my, 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 my intentions are honorable. My intentions, I, I really do want to help. But he said this, he said, in that moment, he said, you don't know what you need. He says, I don't know what I need. And and because this person is wanting to help and I don't have an answer for them, their, their, their question of how can I help, it doesn't make me feel better, it made me feel bad. He said, what made the difference was the people who just showed up and were there. He shared that when he was at when he was dealing with his wife's illness and he was at at his lowest point, that a, a former staff pastor of his just showed up out of the blue, seemingly out of the blue. We know this. We know that God's timing is perfect, right? But this guy shows up seemingly out of the blue with a backpack. He's prepared to be there and he just walks in and he says, Pastor, I want you to know, I'm here until you don't need me here anymore. But he... He said this, when he got close to the end of his message, he said this, he said, I'm a very different pastor than I was a year ago. He said, navigating the loss of my wife and the the loss of my my sister, he said, I see things differently and I, I see people differently. He said, you know, I used to be much more concerned about the religious do's and don'ts. He said. I, I, he goes. I want to. I want to share with you. He said to illustrate this. I want to share with you one of my greatest victories in ministry and one of my greatest uh, uh, um, um, failures in ministry. He said it happened in the same day. And he told the story of years ago. He was uh, he was actually a detective in the Sebring Police Department. He's a police officer uh, who came to know Christ and uh, and then eventually uh, transitioned from being a police officer to being a pastor. And so w- when he was still operating as a police officer, there was a guy in, in in the town that they would regularly pick up for just goofy stuff. Right, the guy was just constantly getting into trouble—not major trouble—but he was he was a nuisance. And I said the gentleman's name was Don. And he picked, picked up Don one day and he's, 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 he's got Don in the car and he realized that rather than arrest Don, he needs to talk with Don about the Lord. And so he talks to Don about the Lord and he, he asked Don, he says, Don, uh, would you like to give your life to Christ? And Don said, yes, I would. And so he prays for him to accept, to accept Jesus right there in his squad car, just really, kind of a really cool thing. And he says afterwards, he said, I just, something said to me, hey, you should pray for his eyes because you see, Don was legally blind. He said he wore the thickest glasses that he had ever seen. And even with those glasses, he didn't see well. So he said to Don, he said, Don, would it be okay if I pray for your eyes? And Don said, sure. And so he said, I I put my hand on Don's shoulder, and he said, and I prayed for Don. And he goes, it wasn't a particularly passionate prayer. It wasn't a particularly powerful prayer. I I didn't even think anything was going to come of it. I just felt like it was something that I had to do. Have you ever been in that spot? Right, where you feel like you, in an obligatory fashion, that you need to pray for something, but you're really not believing for the miracle. It's just something that you feel like you got to do. Right, one of those quasi-religious moments. Maybe I'm the only one in the room that's ever been in that spot. Okay, but I, I will tell you this: I've been there. Even as a pastor, I've full confession. I've been there. So he says he prays this not particularly powerful prayer for Don, and he said when he gets done praying, he goes Don, t- Don. He takes off his glasses and he goes like this, and he said when he pulls his hands down, he goes, there are like scales that have come off of his eyes that are in his hands. And he said, Don starts reading the fine print on the front of his radar gun. Yeah. And he goes, he said this, he goes, I'm freaking out. He goes, and he goes, and then Don goes to put his glasses back on. Why? I don't know. But he goes to put his glasses back on. He goes, me and my glasses must have gotten scratched or something. I can't see anything out of these things now. Right. And he puts them back down. And then he's like, Don, this is amazing. Listen, you, and, and when, when, when the pastor was sharing the story, he says, I don't know if it was, I don't remember if it was a Sunday or a Wednesday, but I, I knew that, I know we had church that night. And he goes, I remember we had church that night. And I said, Don, you've got to come to church tonight. You've got to share your testimony. And this pastor said, I'm thinking it's the start of a great healing ministry and, you know, just all these different things. And Don says, absolutely, I'll come. And he goes, okay, I'll come pick you up. So a little after 6 o'clock, he goes to Don's house, knocks on the door. Initially, no answer. Knocks again. Yeah, come on in. And so he opens the door and walks in, and Don is there with his buddies, and they're drinking and playing cards. And he goes, I'm angry. I'm like, seriously? Just a few hours ago, you accepted Jesus as your Savior. God heals your eyes, and now you're sitting here drinking playing cards. And he goes, Don, are you, are you coming to church? And he goes, you know, um, hey, you know, my friends have come over and, and, and they wanna play cards and so we're playing cards and maybe I'll, maybe I'll go a, another time. And he said, I was so angry and couldn't believe Don's, just his, his flippant disregard for what God had done in his life that I was like, fine, if that's the way you wanna be, He he didn't say that out loud, but that was kind of his his thought. He says, I left. He goes, I never talked to Don again. Thinking, how could he cheapen the grace of God? He said, it wasn't until years later that I came to this realization that instead of being upset at Don for not coming to church with me at that point, I probably should have skipped church and sat down with Don and his friends as they were playing cards and talked to his friends about why Don, for the first time in his life, could play cards and see the cards. He said, I was so consumed by my pious disposition that I missed a moment to share the wonder of an amazing God. In the rich young ruler in his story, here's one of the things that we discover, is it's not about pious disposition. God's not interested in how, in how holy you and I can look. It never has been his posture, never will be his posture. As as we look at this, as we look at the story of the rich young ruler, we also, we discover this, that it's not about, it's not about how much I know. It's not about having the proper education. He asked the question, what must I do? And Jesus responded to him. He says, you know the commandments? And he says, yeah, but, but, but which one, which one is the, which one is the missing link if I had just a little bit more knowledge, it's, not, it's also not about personal discipline. You know, one of the, one of the scriptures that, that absolutely frightens me is this idea where Jesus says this. That when, when, when that day comes and we all stand before God that he'll say, depart from me, you cursed ones. And they'll say, but Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And they'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. See, it's, it's, not, about, it's not about how much Bible I read. It's not about how many scriptures I can quote. It's not about how much I pray. It's not about how much I give. Now here in my heart, friends, I'm, I'm not discounting those things. I, I believe it's important to have daily devotional time. I believe it's important to, to, to daily be in the word. And, and I, I, I will tell you this, there is never an offering that is received in this church that I don't personally participate in because I'll never ask you to do anything that I'm not doing myself. But it, it's, it's not about piety. It's not about knowledge. It's, it's not about, it's not about, personal discipline. It's also not about reputation or success. In fact, it tells us this in Matthew 19, 22, that when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. See, it's easy for us to get confused about what life is supposed to be about. And yet, If anyone be in Christ, they're a new creation. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life. We have the the baptismal tank. It's a it's a visual expression of an inward transformation that happens. The Apostle Paul said this, he said, you have been crucified with Christ and you no longer live. The life that you live, this life that goes on forever, this eternal life, it's the gift that God has given. See, God considered life to be so precious that he provides an eternal plan for you. It's interesting, when when Jesus is having this, this interaction with the rich young ruler there in Matthew chapter 19, he says this, there's one thing that you lack. There's one thing that you lack. He tells him, he says, go sell all of your possessions, give them to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven, take up your cross and follow me. Now here's what we know. We know that Jesus doesn't have a problem with money. We know that Jesus doesn't have a problem with money because he hangs around with some wealthy people. We know that God doesn't have a problem with money because if we look at the way that God has blessed his children over and over and over again, right? After Job goes through his difficulty, God gives Job double what he had before. And and we see this, we see all throughout history. The, The holdings of Abraham, what Abraham had, the wealth of Solomon. So we see this. We see that God consistently give, gives good gifts, that God consistently blesses. So we know that it's not that God has a problem with money. We know that it's not that Jesus has a problem with money. Here's the problem for the rich young ruler. Is that he doesn't understand the reason for life. And what, ha- what has happened is this. is His perspective is warped and his priorities are confused. This is why we live in a generation when God's children can sit and play first-generation shooter games and not feel bad about it. It's a reason why we can have people taking their own lives and thinking that it's the right thing to do. It's the reason why we can live in a world that seems to have a blind eye towards the plight of the unborn. And friends, the answer for the ills that plague our society today is not greater legislation. Now, I'm for any legislation that advances the cause of life. But listen to me. We should never be a people that need our our morality legislated to us. We should have such an understanding and such a value of life and such a relationship, and such a connection with Jesus, This, as we introduce people to the wonder that Jesus is, and they can celebrate the life that he gives, that we understand how valuable this thing is, and we hold on to it, with both hands. Because what our God is, he is a life giver. I love the fact and I'm going to close with this. When God created, he spoken it was. 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 And when he did this, every time he spoken it was, it, he said it is good. And yet when it came to man, he did not speak man into existence. What did he do? He fashioned man from the dust of the earth. In his likeness, in his image. This tells us how much, how precious God views mankind. God made us to look like him. And then here's what he does he doesn't speak life into man, he he breathes life into man. See, you're different than all the rest of creation, you're significant, you matter. You have incredible value. And because it's God's breath, God's breath that brought life to you. Because God is eternal, your life is eternal. Because that breath that brought life to you, it's an eternal breath. And so you do have an eternal destiny. You will spend eternity somewhere. And life should matter enough that we give it the highest position in our thoughts in our activity in our communication see that's that's what the rich young ruler that's what Jesus said to the rich young ruler Okay? You, need to, you need to release the stranglehold that your possessions and your position have on you. And it's easy for us. It's easy for us to care more about our possessions than we do life. It's easy for us to be more consumed about our position than life. And as such, have a warped Perspective. You know, pastor, this activity in my life where it demeans the value of life, it's not a big deal. It's just entertainment, hogwash. I I understand the value of life, but it's not my right to impress my opinions on others. Hogwash. Because God's Word says that that we're supposed to be salt and light to the world around us. And here's what people need to hear. They don't need to hear what they're doing wrong, but here's what they need to hear. That Jesus has come, that you might have life and have it to its full. My prayer is this. God, that my light would so shine that they would, in looking at my life, that they would say, God is amazing. And I want my life to be connected with that God. In Exodus chapter 20, when God makes the 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 declaration, do not commit murder. It can be just as well written. Let life, let life, let life resonate from all that you are. Let life resonate from all that you do. Let life resonate from all that you say. Not your possessions. Not your position. Not this concern about what the people around you think. Life. And when life becomes your highest priority, this life in Christ, and life with others, everything else falls into place. Let's stand together. God, I thank you. God, it is fascinating to me that as we put this sermon series together, wanting to start on Easter, that some would say coincidentally, but we recognize by divine design that we would come to do not commit murder on Memorial Day. And God, here's what we recognize. That this command is not about defending a country. Because we saw the directive that you gave over and over again in history, when you, challenge your people to go and possess the land and to destroy the enemy. But we do know this, oh God, that your command is all about valuing life. And so God, right now, I I, I pray for three groups of people. I pray for the one that's here this morning, And they have been at a place where they are convinced that their life doesn't matter. In fact, they've even given given thoughts to seeing their life come to an end. God, you brought them to this place. You've had them tune in online this morning to speak specifically to them and say that life matters and their life matters and their life is valued. And that you put a high priority on life. So God, I thank you that right now in this moment that you're speaking value over them in Jesus' name. I pray second, O oh God. for the one who is here and they're their living life, but not with the purpose that you intended. And God, I thank you that you've brought them here this morning, that you've connected them via media this morning to have them begin a new journey. And that's a journey with you. And God, I pray that you'd give them the understanding and the courage to even right now to say, God, I thank you for the life that you give me. I thank you for the new life that you make available to me. I acknowledge my need of you. And I give myself to the life that you intend for me. I I pray number three, God, for those that are here. And there is activity in their life. There's habits in their day that the enemy is using to significantly marginalize the value of life. And God, I pray for a breakthrough from that habit right now in Jesus' name. And that the life that you've called them to, that that life would be strong right now. And that they would move forth from this place with a new confidence in the life that you've called them to. God, we thank you and we praise you for these things. In the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 1030 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening, and God bless.